and welcome back to Grace Talks, a Christian's women's podcast that studies the Bible, women in it, and applies it to our lives today. I hope you really appreciated and enjoyed our last week's new segment, Real Talks, where I got to talk with my good friend Kathleen about worry versus worship. That was so much fun, and I cannot wait to record the next episode of that with someone new this weekend. I'm really excited. If you have any topics that you want to learn more about, message those in on the Instagram page, Twitter, or on my website. I would love to know what topics are on y'all's hearts too. But today, we are actually going to be talking about Miriam, the sister of Moses that we learned about in our last Bible study episode about the women of Exodus. The name Miriam is a girl's name of Hebrew origin, meaning drop of the sea, bitter or beloved. It's the oldest known form of Mary, actually. I think the fact that her name is meaning is conflicting with something sweet like beloved and something, well, bitter, like bitter, is fitting for her. And if you stick around, you're going to find out why. In the last episode, you'll remember Miriam quite well as the sister of Moses. If you didn't catch the Woman of Exodus episode, you might want to either listen to that or go ahead and just read Exodus 2, 1 through 10 real quick. To refresh our memories, Miriam kept watch of Moses' basket when he was placed in the Nile to keep from being killed. And when Pharaoh's daughter found him and had compassion on him, Miriam was the one who offered to fetch a Hebrew woman to nurse the child. Of course, she went and got her mother, who then was able to nurse her own son until he was old enough to go to Pharaoh's daughter and be raised as her son in the palace, as a prince, and safe. We left off pointing out the great characteristics of Miriam when she was a young girl, She was watchful, ready to take action, and help when the opportunity presented itself. She was courageous and strong. But while Moses was raised in the palace, Miriam would grow up as a slave in a country that despised her and her people. Before we run into Miriam again, you'll need to learn about what happens to Moses, her baby brother, the one that she helped to save. So like I said, Moses was raised in the palace as a prince. Whether he knew of his Hebrew heritage from his biological mother who nursed him, from Pharaoh's daughter who adopted him, or he figured it out on his own, when he gets older, he decides to go out to where his people are. He sees the brutality of their slavery, and when he sees an Egyptian man beating a Jewish slave, no one doing anything, or looking, he killed the Egyptian and buried him in the sand. Word gets out, though, as it often does, and Moses flees from the wrath of the current pharaoh, who was most likely a different man than the father of the woman who rescued him from the basket and raised him. Moses went to live in a place far away called Midian, where he came to the rescue of a group of sisters, one of whom became his wife. He made a life for himself there, herding sheep for his father-in-law. He lives this new life of his for like 40 years, and he even has sons. But here is where it gets weird. Well, I mean, if you call talking to a bush that's on fire weird, let me explain. While Moses is tending to the sheep, an angel of the Lord basically sets this bush on fire. And Moses sees that it's on fire, but not burning up at all. He goes to check out this bizarre phenomenon, and God himself talks to Moses. He tells Moses that he's going to rescue his people, and that Moses is going to be the one to lead them. Moses tries to get out of it, and trust me, he offers all of the excuses in the book as to why it's a ridiculous plan, or that Moses isn't the right guy for the job, and God rejects all of his excuses and instead tells Moses who he is, as in who God is. In fact, he says, I am who I am. Number one, does Moses not realize he was in his Esther moment? You'll meet her soon. Uh, But she was a Jew that was also brought into royalty, and she knew that she was born for such a time as their struggles of persecution. 
Moses was born for this. God floated him down the Nile to the safety of a palace he would be familiar with, nursed by his Hebrew mother, and then gave him no desire to lead once he was in self-exile, which often make for some of the best leaders. Number two, Moses had God. So immediately all of his excuses as to the why nots became invalid. I know that I've had my own Moses moments. God has a whole world for us to go out and love and make a difference in, and all the time I'm out here making excuses as to why I'm the wrong person for the job or why maybe it's impractical. But just like with Moses, God points out that my lack of resources, lack of capability, lack of whatever, doesn't matter. What matters is who he is. What matters is what he is capable of. And our God is capable of anything. Moses eventually gets the picture, grabs his wife and sons, and they return to Egypt, which is a long way away, if I haven't stressed that already. Moses and Miriam's brother Aaron help him with speaking to Pharaoh. Another new Pharaoh, by the way. This pharaoh has another hardened heart and has no interest in releasing all of his handy slaves, especially for some god that he doesn't really think is that special. In fact, he thinks Moses is just being like his magicians at first, when God's having Moses do some miracles with the staff that he gave him. Not only did that particular pharaoh refuse to let them go worship in the desert for a few days, he made all of their slave labor even harder. And no one was happy about that. Not the Israelites, not the Egyptians, because they were annoyed, and not Moses, because he felt like God was making a mockery of him and hurting his people. But God didn't let up. He made Moses approach Pharaoh again. And again, and then again, and again, and each time he did something new, and something bad would happen to the Egyptians. There were these plagues, ten of them. Like all the water turned to blood. Frogs and locusts were their own problems on separate days. Gnats, flies, sick livestock, boils on humans and animals, hail, and finally darkness. Well, not so finally, actually, because Pharaoh only became more stubborn, even as his nation suffered, and God wasn't done yet. He had a final straw to add to the plagues. This last one was going to be a representation of something much larger down the road. On this night, God would strike down every firstborn, animal and people, unless there was a blood of a, or there was blood of a lamb spread over the door. If that was there, then he would pass over it and the plague would not touch those inside. This was the first Passover, and it represented the coming of a different lamb, the lamb of God. The Israelites were safe. They did as Moses told them, but the Egyptians were not. Once Pharaoh realized that his own firstborn had been taken from him, he sent for Moses and Aaron that very night and told them to get out to take the people and go. The Egyptians all hurried them out. They wanted the Israelites gone ASAP. In fact, the Israelites didn't even have time to prepare food for their journey. They just had bread dough without yeast. It's called unleavened bread when they eventually cook it. Luckily, though, the Egyptians were so eager for them to leave, they gave them lots of supplies. They left with their hands full of gold, silver, clothing, and even a bunch of livestock, like herds and flocks of livestock. They would need all of that, though, because there was 600,000 men not including the women and children. But here's the thing. Pharaoh had a change of heart, and not the good kind. He realized that they were leaving for good, not just to worship for a few days, and he and his officials decided that they were not interested in losing all of those slaves. He loaded up all of his chariots, including six hundreds of the best ones, according to scripture, as well as horsemen and troops to overtake the Israelites. But here is where the epic part starts. All of the Israelites basically said, What the heck, Moses? What did you bring us out into the middle of the desert, stuck between an army and the Red Sea just to die? You could have left us as slaves in Egypt. But Moses said to the Israelites, Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. 
The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. I love that verse so much. It's Exodus 14, 14, by the way, if you want to look it up. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. There's so much trust and dependency in that statement, and we can apply it to so much in our own lives. We know that he fights for our salvation. We need only to accept it. The Holy Spirit fights off our temptations and fear. We need only to lean on him for support. God provides for us. We need only to trust in him and work for him. There's so much power behind that. And speaking of power, God had Moses raise his hand and stretch out his staff over the waters, and the Red Sea split in half. The Israelites walked on dry ground, crazy, in the middle of the sea. But what happens to the Egyptians about to chase after them? Let's read and find out. Exodus 15, 19-21 said this, When Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought the waters of the sea back over them, but the Israelites walked through the sea on dry ground. Then Miriam the prophet, Aaron's sister, took a timbrel in her hand, and all the women followed her, with timbrels and dancing. Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he is hurled into the sea. Ah, there is our girl. Or should I say kind of an older woman? I bet she was dancing just like a young girl again, though. I mean, they did live a lot longer back then. Jochebed, and remember that's Moses's mother and all of their mothers, must have been a great lady. She raised three prophets. Did you catch that? Miriam the prophet. She said goodbye to Moses as a child, and now Miriam gets to reunite with her brothers in this kind of celebration, surrounded by the overwhelming power of the God who saves in the middle of the Red Sea. And this wasn't a pond or shallow waters. Imagine the size of the waves, like the walls of towers, surrounding likely over a million people. Now imagine those walls crashing down around Pharaoh's army, making for a watery grave. This might sting for a second, so I'm just going to rip it off like a band-aid. God loves his people, and he gives us the free will to choose to love him and be his people, or not be his people, which means this simple truth. You are either protected by the waves and safe inside them, or you're going to be drowned by them. And I hope that you're bringing as many people to the dry land to dance and sing and celebrate God's goodness in between the waves. We see that Miriam is filled with joy as she celebrates what God has done. And she's a prophet, which means that she spoke to God and heard from him like Moses and Aaron. This is extra cool to have mentioned because she's one of the seven major prophetesses of the Bible. And currently, that connection with God is giving her joy. Her relationship with her brothers is also bringing her joy. And obviously, the fact that they just escaped Egypt and God is performing this incredible miracle gives her joy. But what happens when those things are no longer new and the miracles no longer seem so exciting? How does she respond? Well, given some years wandering in the wilderness, some time, tensions can get pretty high. And in that tension, Miriam becomes prideful. We read about this in Numbers 12, verses 1 through 15. So it says, Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they asked? Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this. Now, Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. At once the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, Come out of the tent of meeting, all three of you. So the three of them went out. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud. He stood at the entrance to the tent and summoned Aaron and Miriam. When the two of them stepped forward, he said, Listen to my words. 
When there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, reveal myself to them in visions. I speak to them in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him, I speak face to face, clearly, and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? The anger of the Lord burned against them, and he left them. When the clouds lifted from above the tent, Miriam's skin was leprous. It became white as snow. Aaron turned towards her and saw that she had a defiling skin disease, and he said to Moses, Please, my Lord, I ask you not to hold against us the sin we have so foolishly committed. Do not let her be like a stillborn infant coming from its mother's womb with its flesh half eaten away. So Moses cried out to the Lord, Please, God, heal her. And the Lord replied to Moses, If her father had spit in her face, would she not have been in disgrace for seven days? Confine her outside the camp for seven days. After that, she can be brought back. So Miriam was confined outside the camp for seven days, and the people did not move on till she was brought back. So we see that Miriam and Aaron challenged Moses' authority. They're jealous. In Numbers 12, 2 specifically, Miriam points out that the Lord has spoken through all three of them. God points out that he isn't coming to Moses in visions or dreams. Moses speaks clearly with him, and he even gets to see his form. Moses is different. He's special. He's set apart. What I never understood, though, was... Why did Miriam get physically punished and not Aaron? It kind of felt like Adam and Eve all over again, you know? Why do women get the physical punishments? Eve was the one who originally did the damage about eating the fruit and whatnot, so I accepted that. And plus, Adam had to start working the fields, so that's rough on his part too. But to help it make sense in this scenario, I researched it. Because we don't want to make our own assumptions about the Bible or what it says without getting some scripturally sound knowledge to help us out. And here's what I realized. Remember that name placement in the Bible was a big deal. Miriam's name was mentioned before Aaron's, which likely meant that she instigated the conversation. And, I mean, she sounded particularly smug. Plus, the verb used here in Hebrew is the feminine singular, which would mean she spoke against. Also, I mean, if God punished Miriam and Aaron, then who would be able to go to Moses and plead on their behalf to heal them? The more I look into it, the more it just makes sense. And honestly, she got off kind of easy. She only had to wait seven days before being back with the people and not being leprous anymore, thanks to her brothers pleading to God on her behalf. After that, we don't really hear from Miriam. In fact, we don't hear about her at all until she dies and is buried in the 20th chapter of Numbers. I suppose we could see that as a good thing or a bad thing, but I'm going to guess it was a good thing. I'll tell you why in a second. First, I'll tell you my assumption that would make it good, and then I'll give you my reasoning as to why I have that assumption. First off, we don't get to hear every single story and every single thing that happens in the Bible. That would be a way longer book than we have. So that means Miriam could have done great things that we just didn't know about. It also could mean that she kept quiet and did her good deeds or whatever it was, more in secret and a lot more humbly. At the minimum, she must have corrected her behavior and addressed her pridefulness because otherwise we probably would have heard about her doing something wrong again and being punished worse for it. But the thing that gives me more confidence that she addressed how she was acting is a verse in Micah 6.4. It says this, I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you, also Aaron and Miriam. That means that books and centuries later, this book, a book of prophecy, puts her in the same league as her brothers and is equals with her brother Aaron. So that's where my hope comes from. 2 Timothy 3, 16-17 tells us all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. 
So that means that this is an example of God's forgiveness. Miriam, like all of us, had her high points and her low points. There were times that she was an amazing girl and a joyful and godly woman. And there were times that she was arrogant and bitter and jealous. But in Micah, we see a prophet speaking out God's word, and he's talking about the redemption of the Israelites from Egypt. He's talking about the fact that God sent a leader and two helpers for that leader, one of them being Miriam. This is for us too, because remember, this is a book of prophecy. God's going to bring us up and out of this world the same way that he brought the Israelites through the Red Sea. God redeemed us from slavery to sin, and he did so by sending an even better leader, Jesus. Now, the real question is, do you want to be in the list of people God also sent? Remember, it says Moses and also Aaron and Miriam. So yeah, Miriam messed up. She was even being one of those things that drives God nuts in the Bible multiple times. She was being prideful, thinking she was better than someone else. Yet she was still appreciated as a leader in Micah, and hopefully, based off of that verse, she grew from her mistakes and developed into someone worthy of the praise that is to be compared to her brothers. Also, Miriam. So why not also you? And no excuses. I already told you how that went for Moses. The only one who needs everything together is God. And trust me, he has everything. He is everything, creator of everything. And he created you with all of the raw materials that can be turned into skills. The skills to fight your battles, to fight other people's battles, to trust God when you're standing with waves and chaos on either side of you. So develop them. Be the best at whatever you do. Glorify God in the process. Just don't be prideful. If you are so focused on God's perfection and chasing after him, you probably aren't going to have the mental space for pride, worry, or any of the other faulty human features of the mind. So if you're going to be like Miriam, I recommend being like the girl who watched the basket, the one who was brave and stepped in. I recommend being like the woman who celebrated God's goodness with singing and dancing in timbrels in the middle of the sea. Well, that is everything that I have for today. Don't forget to rate this podcast on Apple Podcasts, give a follow on the Grace Talks podcast Instagram or Twitter account, or maybe even share the link to your favorite episode with someone you know. Next time, we're going to be talking about a lady in the New Testament named Tabitha. But first, next week, we're going to have another Real Talks episode to enjoy. And I hope to see you then. If you have any questions about today's episode, the Bible, or anything else, I would be happy to answer as best as I can. If you haven't heard it today, God loves you. I love you. You are important. You have worth. And you have a purpose. I'm signing off. Bye.